Welcome to Alert and Oriented, conversations about God between friends. Join Gary Barkalow and Sam Williamson as we talk about real life with the real God, really. About a month ago, Gary's church, Gary's an elder at his church, Gary's church asked him to preach a sermon this last Sunday, and they asked him to speak on what it was that God is stirring in his heart. So, you know, Gary could pick from a thousand topics, uh, but but they specifically said, what is God stirring in your heart? What is God calling you to? And he chose a passage from the latter half of James about spiritual awareness, spiritual vigilance, uh, and battle. Gary, why did you pick that passage to preach from? Of all the passages... Yeah, you know, as you were talking about the month before, about about a month before, um, I really sensed in a quiet time that God said, I want you to go to the book of James, and I want you to stay there for quite some time. And so for, you know, three weeks, four weeks, I have been just going through the book again and again and again and studying it and, and asking God as I'm reading it, what is it you're telling me? Now, I mean, everything in that book, of course, in Scripture is good. But specifically, what for me? And so the two things that hit me were was chapter three about the tongue, you know, that the tongue, our words have the power to direct, the power to destroy, and the power to delight. And I, and I spoke on that at a men's breakfast at our church, but, but, but with the pulpit, with everyone, I felt like God said, I want you to go to chapter four, and I want you to basically talk about verse seven, which says, um, submit to God then and resist the devil. And so it really was about that. And, you know, Sam, you know this and so many listening because we've talked about it all the time is something that's always been on my heart is the need to be alert and oriented. In fact, if, if you've been to a calling retreat, you know, there's a session about being alert and oriented times three. But really, this was about being alert and oriented and engaged because I feel especially with where things are now, with our experience of the culture, that those three things are so essential to be alert, to be oriented, and engaged. So you're picking a passage, verse seven, submit to the Father, submit to the Lord, submit to God, and um, resist the devil. So how do you tie that in with alertness? What are, you, what are you seeing? How do you see the alertness in those passages? Well, you know, be, before you get to verse seven, obviously there's verse one <laughs> through six. <laughs> Chapters one through three. <laughs> yeah, that's really amazing. So anyway, <laughs> I just discovered that. But, <laughs> but, but, but what I noticed was when he starts chapter four, you know, he asked the question basically, well, he says, I'll just read it. He said, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Do they not come from your desires that battle within you? And so what I noticed here is that he kind of starts with the world without, right? The world outside of our heart, our inner life. And so he's identifying, you know, there's quarrels, there's fights, there's murder, as he talks about, because we covet there. And, and then we'll get into this. There's hostility towards God. But I love the fact that he says, um, what causes it? And I was very struck by that. You know, James is, I think he's really wanting us to think about life, right? To be alert and oriented. Like, you see these things. Why? Think about it for a minute. Why are these happening? And, and, then, and then he goes into, he says, well, don't they come from? Isn't the source in another translation? So 
to me, he kind of takes us from the outer world outside of us, you know, our culture, our environment. And then he brings us into the inner world, you know, what scripture talks like, about is our heart. The outside me, but he's right. saying something else is causing this. Yes. Something inside that's bringing this about. Right. The twirling is an outward expression of something inside. Right. And, and I do think the battle, you know, and we'll be talking about this in this whole conversation, but one way the battle can be described is there is a battle of the world that is without, outside of us, trying to get into the world within. You know, we, we just have to, that world's trying to get inside of us. Um, in fact, one of the one of the illustrations that you know well about, uh, you should have spoken on it, was this idea of scuba diving. And I was just talking about the idea that you enter into this beautiful world of underwater, but it is a it is a foreign environment to our bodies, to us, and it can be hostile, can be dangerous. But the idea, the deeper you dive, the more the outer world is trying to get into the inner world, right? It's the pressure of it, and I, I think it's true for us spiritually. And it's not that believers, you know, believers who've been believers for a few years, it's not that they are unaware of this reality. I mean, I think it's sort of probably taught pretty early on in Christian training, most Christian in us, you know, environments. But you're sort of focusing on there, there's an alertness that we lose. We, we might have been aware of it one time, we might have been taught one time, but you're saying if we lose the alertness, somehow it's causing some spiritual disruption in our life. Is, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, as, as I was thinking about that verse, it might be verse four, but he just talks about, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? And I was thinking, what makes friendship? You know, and Sam, we've talked about this, right? On With each other, we've talked about it at base camp, we've talked about it on these campfire conversations. And Partly what makes friendship is you have certain things in common. Right. You, you kind of want the same things. And I thought, oh, my goodness, that's how friendship with the wor- world starts, right? Is, well, I want what it's offering. And, and it says this is this will make you happy and this is really good. And I kind of go, yeah, I think so, too. And the next thing I, you, you, we know, we're forming a friendship with the world which really is, you know, against the desires, and we'll get into that, the desires of the spirit that he puts within us. Well, and the world is very enticing. The world is very, the friendship of the world is very alluring. And I mean, it's alluring in tiny ways. I once bought something off a website, you know, that has, you know, one of these discount websites, and I started getting daily emails. And I'm telling you, I bought more things off of those daily emails than I have ever bought somewhere else. And I had to stop the email because I would see this thing that they offered. And I thought, how have I lived my life without that? You know, I had never even heard of the thing before. So, but but the world does this, doesn't it? And it's saying, you need this to be happy. You need that to be happy. You need this for a fulfilled life. And friendship with the world is where we start to buy into that. We start to have that common ground. We say, yeah. And the way it works, talk about the outer world trying to get into the inner world, is what he talks about in verse one and two, where he talks about desires, right? The first one, he says, what causes the fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? And that word desire there is different than the one in the next verse. But this one comes from the Greek word hedone, where we get the word hedonistic. You know, so he's, you know, that's self-indulgent, the pursuit of our own happiness and eventual pleasures. Yep. Right. And, and so right away, he goes right to 
the allure of desires, misplaced desires. And what's what's so fascinating, yeah. So it's that whole idea of pursuing your own happiness. And that's where friendship with the world starts to become very alluring and very helpful, you know? So so going through your phrase, alert, oriented, and engaged, I, I completely understand the alertness, you know? I might have been aware of it sometime, but I don't think that I'm constantly sitting around alert that there's a warfare going on inside me. It's not just my external quarrels or, you know, irritations, but but there's a warfare behind that little irritation. There's a warfare behind those circumstances. And just being alert to it probably makes me deal with it healthier. Right. Orientation part. Yeah. And I think that's what's so powerful about thinking, you know, and, and we're going to get more to the two kingdoms, the, you know, the kingdom of God, which is light and life, and the kingdom of darkness, which is death and darkness. Um, but two worlds, the world without and the world within. And I, and I love how he keeps kind of going to the world within. You got to pay attention to what's going on inside of you. And that's usually going to be in, in terms of your desires and in, in being aware and going, Oh, what is that? Because we talk about living an evaluated life all the time, right? What, what is that desire about? That, that thing that's going on in me, you know. And I love that he's kind of drawing attention, going, "Okay, now think about this. What do you? What's going on with you, and what's going on inside of you? You know, being a thinking person again, a, alert and oriented." Yeah, you know, we do have to come back sometime to that self-evaluation. These sort of a. a awareness of what's going on because i think it's so easy to be unaware of what's going on and just sort of focus on the external thing it is interesting as you're talking because when i think of two kingdoms i think of two nations you know i think i live in michigan so where michigan is on the border of canada and so i cross the border to canada it's very clearly i think of it as geographical and you know the farther you're away from the border the less you think about it but you're saying that the border is in us in a certain sense. We're constantly facing this border. We're constantly exposed to this border. We can't go to Kansas and get away from the border. Um, we are constantly on the battlefront facing two kingdoms constantly. We're always in that situation. It's it's always going on inside of us. I mean, I just, again, that's the thing I'm struck by James, even in chapter three, when he talks about the tongue, just about what's going on you know, of just being aware of the inside, because I just think, I mean, he's kind of saying, look at source, not just symptoms. And I think I tend to look at the the symptoms. That shouldn't be happening. I got to stop doing that. Or or they should stop, you know, instead of going, okay, but what's really going on right now? Where's it coming from? I'm really struck, and we'll get into verse two in a minute, but I'm struck by the, the Galatians verse, um, let me just find this where, and, and we're very familiar with this verse as well. Um, oh, here it is. Someone says we're very familiar with this verse. <laughs> and I can't remember. <laughs> no, okay. Thanks a lot. So Galatians 5, 17, right? For the desires of the flesh are against the desires of the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the desires of the flesh for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So there's there's the kind of that the line the the border between the spirit and the flesh you know the world the kingdom of darkness the kingdom of light in, the, in heaven and what really struck me about this is 
we're very, I think we're aware of the desires of the flesh, right? We, we battle them. We're aware of them. We don't want to walk in them. We hate them. Sometimes we like them, but, but you know, <laughs> but, but the fact is this says, but the spirit has desires, mm-hmm. you know, and, and they fight each other. And I love that he says in here, which I don't think I really looked at it this way, but he said, for they are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. And the commentators say, so the flesh is, is wanting you to do what it wants to do, but the spirit is going, no, I'm not going to let you do what the flesh wants you to do. You're going to feel the battle. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, the spirit is saying, this is what I want you to do. This is what I put in you. And the flesh is going, don't do that. I want you, you should do this instead. But they both have desires and they're both, in a sense, preventing you from doing completely what you want to do, both in good and bad. Yeah. But right, that's that battle line right there. So you talk about alert, oriented, is the engagement part, the verse that you read, which is submit yourself, therefore, to God and resist the devil and he will flee with you? Is that what you're thinking about the engagement or are you thinking of something else? Well, no, I think that really is engagement because then he, he finally gets to that. And I think, you know, we are told we should we need to submit to God. It's something we have to do, you know, and resist the devil and of course, we're talking here about the flesh and the world and their spiritual warfare. But but you know what hit me as I looked at this? And I think we all fall, we lean one direction or the other with this. I think I knew people that are very naturally, if you will, tuned into spiritual warfare. It's it's what they look for when they're talking to a person, ministering to them, or they're in an environment, they're always thinking spiritual warfare. Um, and that's how they tend to pray. And, and that's a very good thing. But there are some people that are not dialed into that. They're dialed into very much submitting to God. And it's so, you know, giving over, God, what is your will? I give you my, you know, and that's so needed. But I'm just struck by, he says, you got to do both, right? You have to engage, you know, both giving your submitting to God, but also resisting. And, And some people think, well, if you submit to God, then you don't have to resist. Well, that's not what he said. We have to resist as well, but we can't resist without submitting. I mean, don't you think? How, how do we resist? Give me, some, give, me, give me some ideas of how you resist the evil one, Satan, the devil. Yeah, and his whole kingdom. And his kingdom, right? yep. yep. Right. Well, I, I think to, to begin with, the first thing is I think it's very hard to resist something that you are unaware of. It just is, you know, an enemy you can't see, an enemy you don't know, you you don't know to resist. And my illustration I gave was carbon monoxide poisoning, you know, colorless, odorless, tasteless. Uh, it, it is an enemy that will take you out, but you have to have a carbon monoxide alarm to tell you it is present. You have to resist it, you know, get open the doors, the windows, whatever it is. And I think... I think that's what the Holy Spirit does in us, right? He, he's he's that one that helps us resist. We have to be so engaged, alert and oriented that when we have that that check in our spirit, you know, that sense of hesitation, that whatever you call it, you know, the Holy Spirit saying, hey, the kingdom of darkness is present right now. It's in your desires. It's mixed in. That's when we have to stop and say, okay, what is going on in me, right? Why do I want this so bad? 
let me give you one thing. We didn't get to verse two, but but he uses desire there and uses, as you know, Sam, because you kind of taught me this, that other word desire when he gets into this is the word epithemeo, right? Which which doesn't mean it's not hedone for hedonistic. It is. It means to place your heart upon something, to long for it. And there is warning is, you know, be very careful where you place your heart. And I think that's kind of spiritual warfare where before we know it, we've placed our heart on what someone else has, right? They're gifting their platform, their opportunities, their family, their, their wealth, their house, their position. And he's warning saying that will, that will go to no good end. In fact, it will end in murder as he talks about, right? The murder in your heart. Yeah, I mean, I, I I I like what you're saying. I remember us. I, I really remember this. I want to say five years ago, four or five years ago, we were doing a campfire conversation on spiritual warfare, and I happened to have an early dinner with some friends. They got there late. I couldn't park by the restaurant. It was pouring down rain. I get in there. the The wait staff is really slow, and I'm realizing I'm going to be late for our campfire conversation. So I run out. I find the car. I jump in. I get into a some kind of um, traffic jam. I'm running late and I'm saying, Satan be gone in the name of Jesus Christ, Satan be gone. You know, I'm sort of using the classic Pentecostal charismatic language, but it wasn't working. And I felt like God, I mean, I almost laughed because I felt like God saying, you're doing a thing on spiritual warfare right now. And I think you're missing the point. And the point sort of was, as, Sharon, as, as Candace says, taking every thought captive for the Lord. I can say, hey, Father, I know that you're in charge. I know that you're in control. I know that you won't let Satan do something that isn't outside of your will. You're going to let something happen. I can have peace. And I felt in this case, being aware of something, but saying the spiritual warfare in this case was not letting that those events cause me fear, anxiety, mistrust God, any of those things. I mean, there's a way that being alert and oriented sometimes means saying, being aware that God is just bigger than my circumstances. Yeah. And that's spiritual warfare. That is a resisting of Satan, not giving into the anxiety, the anger, the, you know, the reproach, the doubt. There's some ways we just don't give into it. And that's a resistance. How do, you, how do you submit to God? Well, yeah. So it, it, let me, let me tell you where I went, where my heart went on this, of course, you know, and he talks in there about, you know, come to God with humility and all humility. And he says, you know, Cleanse your hands, sinners. And I, I kind of see that as the, the work of our hands, what we're doing. And then he says, you know, and also purify your heart, you double-minded, you know. So it's it's all about you. You're coming in a place of humility, repentance. Um, and so you we we come to God, we submit in that way. But but then he goes on. I, I love the fact that he says, as you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. I love it where it's kind of like resist Satan and he will flee, right? He will leave, draw near to God, and he draws to near to you as these opposing forces. But it's just that idea of coming to God and just saying, I, I, I'm washing my hands, I'm confessing, I'm giving you my life, I'm submitting everything about me. But, but the place I really went, which I, as I studied this, I, I think, you know, those who are listening to this were, were, I think we're tenderhearted with God. We walked with him for a while. We understand the enormous love he has with us. Because, of course, when he's talking about the world, right, he talks about, um, you know, friendship with the world's hostility towards God. And he says, you adulterers, right? So he puts it in terms of breaking a marriage vow, a marriage relationship. But, yeah, 
unfaithfulness. But as as uh, Tim Keller said, he said you have to understand what he's when he says he's jealous over the spirit that was within us. He's basically saying that word jealousy means he desires our love, and that's why he is jealous when we give it somewhere else. So this overwhelming sense of God's love for us, that's how we submit in that realm versus only, I'm sorry, I don't deserve anything, but it's coming under the, the, the immense immensity of God's love for our life. So as we, as we come to it, oh, well, what do I think? I think that, that um, when we hear submit, you know, I mean, submit is just not a word you use today, right? I mean, nobody talks about submitting. You don't submit to your boss. You don't, I mean, you just, we don't use the word. But I think that when we think of it, it's sort of perfunctory. You know, I think of, okay, I'm going to say, okay, your will. But there's, but I think what God is inviting us to is some kind of delight. The very fact that he would say friendship with the world is adultery says he loves us as a spouse. Mm. You know, sort of the flip side of this is it's just him calling us adulterers in a certain sense expresses this longing and love and desire in the heart of the father, which to me, I can submit to that loving God so much more. He's not this hard taskmaster saying, you better straighten up. He's saying, when I call you adulterers, don't you understand? As you were saying, my heart is that heart that loves. My jealousy is jealous of your love for your lover, for your other lovers, when when I've made you to love me, and I certainly love you. So I, I find a submission there in the context of the love of God, not perfunctory, but delightful. Right. And and, and what I wonder, Sam, is, as I thought about this is, you know, the word submit can have a negative connotation because of the culture we've been in, right? right. It's basically saying, I, you know, what we feel is you submit to me because I am smarter than you. I am better. You really don't matter to me except that you do what I say. And so I think we have those feelings of that, or we talk about, you know, we need to, uh, you know, give it up to God. And giving up is kind of like what? So here, here is where I kind of went with this to end this. I think, I think sometimes we can submit to God. And really what we're doing is we're saying to God, I'm done with this. I'm done with what I feel like you're asking me to do. I'm done trying to take responsibility for my life and walk with you. I'm done with the Christian life. And that's resignation. That's not quitting. That's not that that's what that is, not submitting, really. And and I think, you know, for those of us, you we talk about this all the time, but sometimes I think it's being willing to say, you know, God, this thing I gave to you, what I sense is my calling or the dream that I that I want to have of ministry to others and the effect I want to have, I've given it to you and I walked away from it because I'm tired of the, the, the pain and the discouragement from it not working. And I think sometimes the submitting is to be able to say, God, I would like to take it back. I would love for you to restore it. And, and, and give it back to me because I want the place in the kingdom that you've given me. You know, as Tom Howard said, there's only two ways to live in life. And that is my life for yours or my life for me. And I think, the you know, to sum it up, I think it's to be able to say my life for you, God, and then show me how to make it so it's my life for others, you know. for So 
it, it's, it's submitting is taking back saying, I will take whatever on your terms, the life you want me to live back. And, uh, and I'll walk with you in it. I think the only way we can be empowered to do this, I mean, how do you give your life to someone like that? Is to see that Jesus did live his life saying my life for yours. Yeah. You know, it means this is someone I can trust. Because I want, I aspire to saying my life for yours, but he really did it. And I think, I think the times that I see him doing this melts my heart to be able to more naturally say my life for yours, Father. And as you said, my life for others. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Please join us by following this podcast or liking it. And visit our websites, thenobleheart.com and beliefsoftheheart.com for more resources in living the eternal life with God today. You'll find articles, videos, and online classes. See you next week.